0: What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hbdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in.
1: Everybody say amen. He is risen. Well done. He is risen. Now, for the college students in the room, i got to let you know that he is risen is better than he has riz. Because riz didn't save anybody. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just let it go. Just don't even worry about it. Not worth a Google. But thank God he is risen. Uh, My name is David. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Valley Church, and I have the privilege of bringing the word today. I want to thank you for making it a priority to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to celebrate with us, I want to say thank you for that as well. It's a privilege to have you with us today. And I want to, I want to be among those to welcome you. I know there are all kinds of different people here today. Uh, there are those of us who love Jesus so much, we just were bursting at the seams and could not wait to make it to church to celebrate the resurrection. We got some of those in the room? Pastor Andrew leading the way. I, I know some of you all, some of you all are just trying to get your friend off your back. And you're like, just stop inviting me. If I come, will this be over? Can we stop this dance? And you're being dragged here today. And some of, us are, some of us are interested or curious, and we're trying to figure out maybe who is this Jesus? Who is God? And what would it look like to have a relationship with him and to trust him with my life? Whichever category of person you find yourself to be. I believe that God has something for every single one of us today from his word and from his Holy Spirit to inspire us and encourage us and invite us deeper into knowing, trusting, and following him. Amen. Amen. We're here today because 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave, overcoming shame, doubt, and fear, tearing down. The, the, uh, the veil and the walls that separate us from the presence of God and the love of God and so that we could extend, experience him in, in a tangible way. But it's not just something that exists in history. It's something that exists for our victory. And I want to invite us all into a greater level of victory today as we figure out the purpose of the resurrection as it pertains to us today. In just a moment, I'm going to read a passage. Actually, uh, Wayne is going to read for me. So, Wayne, if you could go ahead and come on up. When I was praying about today's service, I was like, what do we need to know, God? What is it that you would have us recognize or acknowledge, not just about you, but also about what's going on in our heart? Go ahead and come all the way up here. It'll help me remember to give you the microphone. it will keep this part short. As I was praying for this service, I I was reminded of a story of uh, of a boy and a girl. The boy had these marbles that he loved so much, and this girl had a whole bunch of candy that she really enjoyed. And they were looking at each other's uh, provisions, and, and they were like, man, I, I, I love my marbles, but I could do with some candy. And the girl with the candy is like, I've had enough candy. I would, love, I would love access to those marbles. And so they agreed uh, for an exchange, all of the marbles for all of the candy. And the boy gave almost all of the marbles to the young girl. He kept his treasured marble in his pocket, his favorite marble he kept for himself. The girl gave all of the candy to the boy, and in this exchange, they both walked away somewhat happy. But that night, when it was time to go to sleep, the girl was at peace and she fell asleep, very pleased with the agreement and the, and the arrangement that had been made. She had turned candy into marbles, it was amazing to her. The young man was, the young boy was, he was tortured. He wasn't tortured because he withheld the best marble from the girl. He was tortured because he was afraid that she withheld the best candy from him. I wonder sometimes if that idea is standing in the way of our relationship with God. That we had this agreement where God wants all of us and he promised to give all of himself. And yet when we look at him and we consider our life circumstance and we consider uh, our daily lives and when we consider the condition of the world, we're afraid that maybe God is withholding something from us. And so we withhold ourselves from him. Now this isn't just a message for people who are new to Jesus. You can be walking with Jesus for 10 or 15, 20 years and still struggle with those same realities. My invitation today is to recognize that the resurrection is the evidence that God withheld nothing of himself from us. And it is a safe bet to give all of ourselves back to him. We're looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to hear the greatest sermon ever preached. I was so eager to give the mic to to Wayne. I forgot to tell you. Come on. Come on, faith. We believe that participation is better than? If you're new, you can participate this time. Participation is better than? So we stand to our feet out of reverence for Scripture. It's only five verses. You can read it with us. Wayne will set the pace. Or you can just listen along. Either way is good by me. But we do want to give Scripture its proper reverence. This right here is the single most important part of the entire sermon. It is the Word of God that has the ability to transform, to cut deep, and to heal, and to restore, and to be a balm to everything that aches in our soul. This is the most important part, and that's why we stand.
0: Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Heavenly Father, we are here today to explore and celebrate the most profound event in history, an event that changed the course of every life that has lived or will ever live. We pray today that you would give Your power to Pastor David to preach this word with conviction and strength, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to receive what your spirit desires us to understand. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Wayne. You may be seated. As a part of your participation, I really do invite you, I encourage you to take notes. So there's a little notepad and a little, uh, somebody called it a clutch. The little plastic clutch. Uh, you So you can take notes on that. Bust out a phone however it is that you remember things. Because I do expect that the Spirit of God wants to speak to you today. And it's not all going to come over these microphones. The Spirit of God is here today. He is with us because he is alive. Because the reality that he is risen isn't just a historical thing. But it's a present reality. And I do expect that the Spirit of God can bypass all these other trappings. And speak to your situation very soon. Specifically, I've titled today's message, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, and it's not actually this sermon that I'm going to preach that's the greatest. I don't want to get the expectations confused. It's what the angels said. It's the proclamation of the angels in that moment. Was the greatest news that had ever been proclaimed in all the earth, because it was a promise that it was it was fulfilling a promise that was thousands of years old. It was a promise that had been made before man even understood the problems that he faced. It was a plan that God had put in motion before the creation of the earth that Jesus was going to come and redeem creation from the from the from the pain and the shame of sin and death. I've titled it the best sermon ever so that on your notes, no matter how the rest of the sermon goes, you've got in your notes that it was the best sermon ever. Can I get an amen? amen. There we go. Best sermon ever. What I want to do is I want to unpack three ways that, the ser- that this is the greatest sermon ever. Why this is such earth-shattering great news and why it's worth celebrating not just on Easter Sunday, but every single day of our lives. Are you Ready? Before we get into the three points, I want to talk about he proved that he was trustworthy, he had authority to forgive sins, and that God is not withholding his love from us. But before I do that, I want to talk about uh, two things that actually give me a whole lot of confidence in Scripture that I think might be helpful for you as well. If you've ever heard the story of the resurrection, you can tell in Scripture that there's a little bit of confusion about what happened. One version says that uh, one story says that Mary went while it was still dark, and one says that it was the dawn, and one says that the gardener spoke to him, to spoke to her, and she didn't know who it was, and then another says that Jesus spoke directly to them, and they knew who it was, and then it was the guards, and it was the angels, and it was Jesus, and I want to I want to dispel any confusion that might exist for us because when you lay them next to each other, you realize that the confusion is exactly the kind of confusion you would have if something that wasn't supposed to happen actually happened have you ever have you ever witnessed a car accident? And witnessing a car accident in, with a group of people, and you go and you try and describe it later, you're going to describe it different ways because you all saw different things. One person saw that they had a hat. Another person saw that they had J's on. Another person saw that it was a BMW. Another person saw that it was a Ford. Another person saw another detail, and that other detail was shared. But when you put it all together, it becomes one coherent story telling the same, describing the same thing that happened. Are you tracking And so I'm so thankful that Scripture leaves the tension in there because they so easily could have just made the problem go away if it was really a problem. But they, I don't need that. I didn't plan that, but I don't think I need it. We'll see what happens in a minute. They could have just made the problem go away. And one of the most beautiful things about Scripture is that it leaves the tension in there for us to even challenge Scripture and say that feels like a contradiction. That feels uncomfortable. This feels a little bit confusing. Y'all, these are not new problems. It's not that we live in 2023 and we're so smart. These are the same questions that people had right after Jesus rose from the dead. It's the same questions that people wrestled with all the way up to 300 when they said these are the letters that we want to fit into the Bible. These are the ones we're calling authoritative. They were looking at it and and they argued over it and somebody's like, "Hey, I want this letter in there. I want 1 Corinthians in there." And they're like, "But it's going to confuse them." And they said, "Better for them to be confused a little bit and get the whole story than to be be at peace having feeling like they've got the whole story because it's it's easy." Are you tracking? So I love Scripture because it keeps the challenge, it keeps the tension in there, it keeps it alive, and it makes it even more attractive to go in and uncover and unbury the treasure that's in there of God's Word. Are you tracking? So the Bible is authoritative. It is a reliable source of the resurrection of Jesus, even though there's some confusion in there. I love that they kept it in. By rising from the dead, Jesus proved that he is trustworthy. You know, there are a lot of love songs out there today about people being willing to take a bullet for you. Right? There are also love songs about being like a light switch. It's on and off. It's like, like, whoo, I'm here and now I'm gone. I am in love and now it's off. But you hear these proclamations of love that I'll take a bullet for you. I would die for you. I think of that Robin Hood movie, the 90s one, the real one. You know, I'm not going to sing it. It's out of my range. It's all out of my range. There's nothing in my range. I don't have a range. Music wasn't designed for this voice. But I would die for you, right? Like, so there's this thought that, like, I would die for you, but who really ever does it? What artist ever actually does it? What person ever actually sacrifices the fullness of their life? Bigger than that, Scripture says that what well, greater love is this, than a man would sacrifice his life for his friends. The word life there is actually sukkah. It actually speaks to the psychology, the soul. Who would lay down his soul for his friends? Sometimes I think it would be a lot easier to die than it would be to lay down my soul. Anybody felt that way before? Don't in too loud if you're married. But it's like, this was till death do us part. It would be a lot easier to die a physical death sometimes than to lay down our sukkah, to lay down our soul, to lay down the essence of who we are for the benefit of someone else. And indeed, Jesus did all of it. Jesus is trustworthy. It proved that he had the authority to forgive sins. How did rising from the dead prove that he had authority to forgive sins? Well, all throughout Jesus' ministry, if you're with us on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Luke, and we've been examining and, and studying the way that Jesus is interacting with the world and the way that he's making all things new. We see how Jesus forgives sins, and people are like, you can't forgive sins, only God can do that. And he goes, Your sins are forgiven. Also, get up and walk. I'm going to heal your body also. He's like, thanks for that history lesson there, buddy. Do you pick up what I'm putting down? And so we see that Jesus has the authority not just to forgive sins, but he has authority over sin and death. Who has authority over death? Man, I get scared. I get scared sometimes when I get pulled over. I said it like it happens a lot. There was a couch, it turned into a counseling session. I hear those blue lights flash on and somebody flies up alongside you. I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, be someone else. Because they got the authority to, like, find me money. They've got authority to put cuffs on me if I'm really out of control. They've got authority to take me away from the car. They've got a, they've got a certain kind of, certain measure of authority. But even with the limited authority they have, they don't have the authority to over death. They don't. Jesus has authority over all things. There's nothing that's outside of his authority. And by rising from the dead, he was proving that death is also under his authority. CNN wrote an article yesterday. It was actually I was actually really surprised to see it. It said, "Don't count Christianity out yet." For a long time, y'all, we've been hearing stories about how Christianity's on its way out. But I loved the way that they described the belief of Christians. They said that Christians believe that because Jesus rose from the dead, they will too. Because he has authority over sin, death, and the grave. The most important thing, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time together, is that God is not withholding his love from us. When it came time to reaffirm the love of God to all of creation, God didn't just send a prophet. He didn't just send a good teacher, but he himself came to us in the flesh. God himself took on flesh and lived among his creation, subjected himself to every human situation and condition, subjected himself to pain, subjected himself even to weather. I joke about how, like, if I was Jesus, I probably would have come in a time when there was air conditioning. Right? Or at least, like, smartphones. Like, the last 10 years, like, you can access so much, Jesus. You could get so much done. You'd have a killer YouTube you know, YouTube channel. Can you imagine the podcast? You know, and it's easy to get excited about that. And then I remember how they responded to his authority. And then I'm like, oh, no, I would have lined up to kill him, too. Anyway, he chose then. <laughs> that guy got real quiet. No, the pastor doesn't want to kill Jesus. That's not what I was saying. What I'm saying is that we're uncomfortable with the power and authority that he has. And we want to do everything we can to keep ourselves comfortable. And so we try and take power. Anyway, you got it. Nice. (laughs) God's not withholding love from us. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says it was because of the joy awaiting him that he endured on the cross. And it says that he disregarded the shame of the cross. It's important to recognize that dying on the cross was the most shameful death that could be died. It was humiliating. He was stripped of his clothes. He was stripped of his beard. He was whipped. He was beaten. It was a death that was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. It was, it was too publicly, not just to kill, not just to... Uh, not just to take out of the picture, but it was designed to humiliate. It was designed to to cause other people to run as far away from that as they possibly could. And It was absolutely humiliating. It was undignified in every way that something could be undignified. And yet, this is the way Jesus took the bullet for us. By dying the most undignified death possible he withheld nothing of himself from us now i know there are a lot of reasons we'd be tempted to withhold our marble from him maybe because we've we've met people who disappointed us maybe because we've had a bad experience with the church perhaps because god didn't come through the way you wanted him to come through the way you needed him to come through maybe that family member died Maybe you lost your house. Maybe the abuse didn't stop. There are a lot of reasons that we would withhold the marble. But none of those reasons is Jesus. Jesus gave us all of himself in the most undignified way possible. In Luke chapter 14, it's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. It's a story of someone called the prodigal son. You know that story? I'm going to take issue with his name in just a minute. I'm going to take issue with how we remember him in just a moment. But first, I want to bring you up to speed if you've never heard this story. A man had two sons, and he was wealthy. The family was doing really well, and the son came to the father. And he said, Dad, I don't like being here anymore. I want my inheritance now. And as the second son, he was doing inheritance from his father that you typically wouldn't get until the father had died. And that would be distributed by the older son. Was it distrust of the older son, or was it distrust of his relationship with his dad? I don't know. We can't know. But we do know that in this story that Jesus is telling, the young man believes his father to be of more value to him dead than alive. An absolutely outrageous claim to ask of your father to get the inheritance before he had passed. The father, out of love for his son, knowing his son's condition, knowing the situation, knowing his own circumstances, decided to give the money to his son. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't done in private. Sometimes we forget about the communal aspect of life in that time, and even the communal aspect of life in our time. The man would have had to sell property. The man would have had to empty accounts. The man would have given this young, his son, a lot of money and a lot of resources, and it would have been known by the community. It's almost like the son asked a really undignified question and the father responded with an even more undignified response by doing it. And the son went out, and he lived a lavish life, the prodigal life, the uh, spendthrift. He was, he was, he was, it was ratchet. He was, he was out there. If you can do it, he was doing it. If, he was, like, if, if he, he was doing it, he spent all the money, he was doing all the things, and he ran out of money. And he's he, sitting here as a Jewish man eating slop with pigs. And he, and he looks at it, and he goes, man, I'm, I can't even eat a pig. And now I'm eating among pigs. This is terrible. He goes, maybe I should go back home. And the son decides to go back home, and as he's walking home over the ridge, it says that the father ran out to meet his son. This tells us two things about the father. This means that the father was always looking for his son to come home. It means that he never stopped. So while well, this town would have looked on and said, your son's an idiot. He's wasted everything. Don't waste another day on him. Don't waste another thought on him. He's gone. He left you. He abandoned you. He humiliated you. The father continued to look for his son. Because for as undignified as his son was going to be, the father insisted on being the story. And so when his son finally returned, the father ran out to meet his son. Now here's something about men at that time. It was undignified to walk. It was undignified to run or to be hurried. So he would have, in every kind of situation, hey, your wife's dead. He'd be like, oh, that's really sad news. Hey, your house is on fire. Maybe you run for that. Maybe you run for your wife. But like in every other kid's situation, there's no good reason to run outside of extreme chaos. And this man, instead of walking to his son because he knew that the people were going to talk about his son, ran out to meet his son so that he would be the story yet again. Did you hear about his son, Jebediah's son? He came back. He's just a mess. He's just a mess. He just wasted everything. He's just, no, the story was, did you hear about Jedediah? He ran out to meet his son. This man is a fool. He ran out to meet his son. Can you believe that he ran out to meet the one who abandoned him? The one who made him look like a fool? The one who spoiled his fortune? He ran out to meet him. What a fool Jedediah is. His name's not Jedediah necessarily. I say that for two reasons. I don't want you to go to your Bible and be like, there's, that's not there. Two, there's a likelihood I change his name in the next metaphor. So I just want you, I just want you to be ready to go with me. So he insisted on being the story, and so his son comes in, and the father draws him close, and the father doesn't doesn't throw him off. The son tries to repent. The father greets him with a kiss, a new robe, and new sandals, and a new ring. The father's like, hey, we'll work all this out. We've got a lifetime to work out what is metaphorically your salvation. We've got a lifetime to work out what it means for you to be a part of this family. We've got a lifetime for it. But right now, there's something that's more important than anything else, and that's that I need you to know that when people look at you, they won't see anything different from you than they see when they look at me and when they look at your brother. So the people would have talked. He ran out and met him. Gave him a robe. Gave him a ring. He wasted. He probably sold his ring, which is why he didn't have one on. He lost it all. Put new sandals on his feet, which carries all kinds of metaphors that we can't get into. Maybe in the extended cut this week, we'll talk about the metaphors Larry. That'll be fun. We'll talk about the purpose that God gives his son in this moment, that the father gives his son in his return. It's almost like the father knew that the story was going to be about his son. So he's like, let's give him something to really talk about. Hey, Marcus, that's his, that's his older son. You didn't see that one coming, did you? After Jedediah, his older son's name is Marcus. Slaughter the, slaughter the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party because your brother's home. We're going to have a party. We're going to throw a party, and we're going to really give the neighbors something to talk about. Not only are they going to not be able to defame my son, but they're going, to, they're going to be invited to this party to celebrate that he's home. So they throw a party. The father continues to be more undignified than the son ever was. And then, during the party, the father recognizes that his older son is still out in the field. He's ticked off. He is so mad. The younger brother had defamed the family. He had wasted their fortune brought all kinds of chaos into their world, the humiliation of their father. So embarrassing. The father sees him out there and he knows what's going on in his son's heart. So the father chooses yet again to be more undignified because he's not going to let the story be about the older brother either. The father goes out to meet his son. You know, it's like we've all seen a parent, you know, when you're like, man, that's that kid should get, some, should get whooped, you know, like losing their mind, and then you've got this parent that goes over and just loves them, and you're like, that parent doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> Go ahead and judge me. It's cool. They have no idea what's going on. That's what everybody would have thought about this father as he went out to his other rebellious son because the father was going to be the story. Now, it is a parable. These people didn't really exist, but they exist in every single one of us. We represent these people. Now, the prodigal son, the reason I don't like the name is because he's not prodigal anymore. But we insist on calling him prodigal, don't we? He's home now. He's got the robe, the ring, the kiss, and the sandals to prove it. He's got the father's love from a distance. Even up close, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the prodigal and the son that was there all along and the father who loved them both. He's no longer a prodigal, so we got to come up with a better name for that son. Maybe it's just Elijah. See, so he went back Jewish again. So, see, keep you on your toes. Sermon's coming to a close. Jesus did for us on the cross what the Father did for the Son in the parable. That at every point of our indignity, of every point of our rebellion against God, at every sin we've sinned, every, every crass or murderous thought we've had, every action that has hurt and wounded other people or grieved the heart of God, was covered up through the indignity of his death on the cross. And it's through his resurrection that we're certain that it can't chase us down. It's dealt with. It's final. Jesus has the final word. The father had the final word of the son's seat at the table. Jesus has the final word over your life and your seat at his table. That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. Because through his resurrection, he affirmed his his authority over everything else up to and including death. What's most amazing about Jesus is he uses his power, he uses his trustworthiness, he uses his authority, he uses his place in heaven. He uses his place in the Godhead to give us a seat at the table as well. This morning, I wonder, I do wonder how you're hearing this. I also wonder how God might be inviting you very personally to respond to the resurrection of Jesus. For some of us who have been far off, it might be the first time we've ever surrendered to the love of Christ and asked him for salvation. For some of us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, you might realize, oh, you got some wild in you. That you got to turn from. You got some ways that you've been acting up, and you know enough church words, and you know enough like spiritual language, and you know to kind of cover it up and make it okay for yourself, and maybe for the people who see you and the people you're around. But the reality is, Jesus is putting His finger on that today. There's an opportunity for for you as well to say yes to Jesus, and for the person who's walking this out the best they can. You're like, man, I'm 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 living this. I'm I'm not. I'm not prodigal, I'm I'm home. And it's your responsibility to throw a party. To make the house something wonderful to live in. To make it exciting and help reacclimate the younger brother to life in the home. To instruct them and invite them into the fullness of life that you should have been experiencing all along. Jesus gave all of himself withheld nothing of himself. This morning he's asking for our marble. Can you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we find ourselves in all kinds of different places this morning. But all of us are being invited to surrender our marbles. All of them. Even our favorite one. Even the one that nobody else knows about. Even sometimes it's the one we like the most. But even as you gave all of yourself for us, Father, I ask that you would teach us how to give all of ourselves for you. If there's anybody in here this morning who's never given their life to Jesus, and you'd like to do that today, you'd be like, man, I I didn't know that there was a place for me at the table. I thought I had done too much. I thought I had run too far. I want to invite you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you, but also so that I can, so that I can chase you down in the lobby. (laughs) Yeah, don't be so spiritual that you don't acknowledge it. I'm going to chase you down in the lobby and get coffee with you, like schedule a coffee. So we can talk about what it means to love and serve Jesus. That's why I'd love that. I'm not gonna force anything or prove anything. Jesus will do that. So if that's you this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, or you're far and you want to come close, go ahead and raise your hand. And I, I just I want to pray a special prayer for anybody in that situation. See that hand? It's beautiful. See that hand? You can put it down. You just Just like make eye contact with me. Raise your hand, make eye contact, and then put your hand down. Nobody's going to judge you. The church is filled with people who did the same thing you're doing right now. That's that's what it means to be a Christian. Like, man, I was wild. and Thought I had riz, but I want to be risen. God, I shouldn't have said that. you raised your hand I want to thank you for making that decision not for me but for you that is the single most important decision you could have made in your entire life if you did make that decision can we just have a round of applause for people who pray that prayer it's the single most important decision you can make in life is to follow Jesus and he'll inform every other decision But in doing that, you can be certain that he's trustworthy, that he has power and authority, and he will not withhold himself from you. I do want to invite you. We're getting ready to go into a time of communion, but there's not a better time to do this. The next four weeks, we're going to be going through a series called Donkey Missions. (laughs) That was a left turn, wasn't it? Donkey Missions, making sense of the senseless seasons of life. Yeah, donkey mission. Yeah, it'll be fun. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. You're like, wow, that was a left-hand turn. It was like all like melodic and peaceful and like donkey mission. That's why I did it. So uh, I would love to invite you back to learn with us and grow with us through every season of life, even the senseless ones, even the chaotic ones. If you could go ahead and stand to your feet again. We're going to receive communion in just a moment. This communion moment is the ultimate reminder of how Jesus gave everything of himself for us. It's the ultimate reminder that he withheld nothing of himself from us. That in his amazing grace and mercy, he gave the fullness of himself so that we could be reunited with God, so that we could live forever with him and so that we could live in unity and fellowship.